the, the number one challenge is always to take them away from technology. My name is Zeniv Koren. I'm here to study successful innovation professionals and uncover the mindset and models they use to derisk the future. On this podcast, I invite fellow professors, practitioners, and entrepreneurs to have an honest conversation about the business of innovation. No more bullshit. We talk openly and honestly about what works and what doesn't. So come on, get your ass in that seat. School's about to start. Welcome you back to school. Hi, Yaniv. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, I can't wait to see where our conversation leads. Awesome. I'm very glad you're here. Um, how about we start with a little game? Okay. You up for that? Yes. Cool. So complete this sentence for me and please do not overthink it. The sentence is corporates and startups are dot, dot, dot. They are playing different games. Um, I find sometimes corporates are playing chess and startups are playing Fortnite. Um, it's they're just on sometimes just totally different planes of existence, uh, but uh, duking it out in the same field a lot of the time. That is what makes it interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 interesting when you're uh, talking and trying to advise corporates on on a competitive landscape, and and you notice that there is a startup in the field. And as always, if the corporates are a little bit behind, they are like, no, these guys are small fry. Don't worry about them. We have the big B to big B relationship with the customer. And I'm just sitting here, just being nice to them, go like, yes, but this startup doesn't care about profitability. They have just gotten funding. They have just 10x the size of their proto and their and their program with your customer. And you are trying to figure out how to make an extra one percent on your margin, and it's 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 quite an interesting dynamic and a conversation with corporates when when you're in this uh, in this situation with them. Yeah, yeah. So almost trying to translate uh, between two different languages. Yes, and and trying to try to explain. To, it's like teaching them how to play a new game, and and they they just don't know or they don't understand the rules and. And for you, it's like actually the rules are really not there. Uh, whereas similarly to our analogy, chess has a lot of structured rules. Like every piece has its kind of way of moving. Uh, but when you move into into the real world, when you're playing a Fortnite game or a PUBG game, it is essentially almost every man for himself. It's a dynamic map. It's constantly moving. The constraints are constantly closing in. Um, and you sometimes have to do defensive. Sometimes you go on offensive. Um, it's it's very dynamic. It's no longer a turn by turn basis. Yeah, I like that analogy. So I want to talk a little bit about what you what you're doing right now. Um, you're the chief innovation officer at Human at Work, and so could you share what is Human at Work and what you do there? Yeah, sure. So Human at Work is uh, effectively a strategy, innovation, and purpose lab. Um, we're, we're quite we're quite specific in the way that we word it and and we we don't want to be seen as um, your stereotypical consultants what we do do is that we go into either corporates or startup worlds and help advise them on um, on strategy innovation and purpose 
and we kind of saw this as an interesting nexus as we move forward into the into the into the next next few years that one uh, innovation is now used to be just a interesting thing that only large companies did into something that every company needs to do now whether they actually do or not a different different um problem um purpose is now a much bigger issue and on on the table especially i think it started way back with sustainability uh, esg goals and then now people are starting to awaken it up into like okay like what actually is our purpose and what are we what value are we delivering to the world uh, and to our stakeholders beyond financial and shareholders and of, and of course all tied together with strategy so I lead the innovation piece. Um, I have a dual mandate, um, one side looking at the large corporates in terms of um, helping them kind of uh, work through some corporate innovation strategies and kind of programs and processes. And on the other side, I, I, I'm, I'm probably my stronger passion is working with startup founders to find ways to help them supercharge their business as they start to scale um, using, using basically my background from large corporate uh, working with startups uh, at Lee and Fong. So, so that's that's in a in a nutshell what I do and sort of what Human at Work does. So, take me back uh, to stuff that you were doing prior to Human at Work, and and if you could uh, maybe reflect on these things and how the different things that you've done in the past kind of all tied together to what you're doing now? How has that sort of shaped what you're doing right now? Sure. Um, I, I have to say my, my career path till now has been very boring. I was a almost a career man at Lian Fong, and, 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 and you all know Lian Fong very well, a supply chain manager in the fast-moving consumer goods industry. I started off as a manager trainee, and by the time I left, I was um, looking after some uh, innovation programs, I had uh, pushed through some large cultural um, culture work throughout the entire organization, and also had a essentially like a firefighter on special projects uh, at a at a corporate level. So I think my experience uh, really helped drive into me the the ability to stay agile and and flexible. Um, like I would be dropped in a project where I would have zero expertise and zero knowledge of the of the matter, but be very quick to assess what was going on and kind of bring transparency and utilize data to kind of help um, shoot through any problems. Um, the culture piece really showed me how important culture was and how much was uh, hidden within organizations, uh, what was what was unsaid and un, un, unknown, and how, how that can be both a uh, be harnessed for good and for bad. Um, as as we as I went through and and I went through almost all of our offices to see our people and I think the the humanity there really kind of shaped the way I think about business and how business should be built and run around people, um, and then finally the the final piece around innovation, which actually stemmed from cult the culture piece, was that innovation needs to fundamentally come from your culture and and, and yeah um, I think you will agree with me on this and that you cannot build an innovation lab. To, and, and be suddenly overnight uh, innovative as a company. You cannot do hackathons until you become innovative as a company. There are many things around innovation theater that can be done and money can be spent, but at the end of the day, you need to go back to your culture. And, and so that, that kind of shaped a lot of the thinking that I had. 
Um, and, and the final piece just before I left was um, kind of this building, uh, helping the Fong and, and, and Fong group build an ecosystem to start to um, build partnerships and potentially uh, interesting uh, pilots with startups. Um, the company realized that we needed to kind of look outside a little bit more. Um, the, the, the solutions to our problems were unlikely to come from ourselves. Um, and so we, we started to work. I think it started the Explorium in itself. Um, that was the last place I was before I left, started in Shanghai. I think they did well there. Um, and we started off the Hong Kong one. And yeah, we just leveraged the work that we had with the uh, startup ecosystem in Hong Kong to bring in some fresh, innovative ideas uh, into the company to help solve some of the problems that we were seeing. So you mentioned Lian Fong. You managed a program there called the Workshop? Yes, the workshop that was at Liafong before we got uh, pushed into the group. So, and we're talking like for our audience who doesn't know Liafong or the Fong group, we're talking about huge organizations, right? Tens, tens of thousands of people, a lot of business units spread across the, the globe. Yep. At the Fong group level, it was something like 40 to 50,000 people globally. I think we're in almost every major country in the world. Um, doing everything from retail down to um, managing supply chains and, and manufacturing. So it, it was it was a pretty sizable and large and large business. So looking at Lian Fong uh, as a huge organization and some of the huge organizations that you work with today, uh, what's your number one challenge, or what are you some of your bigger challenges in? You know, trying to drive innovation in these organizations. The the number one challenge is always to take them away from technology. Um, every large organization likes to throw all the buzzwords you can think of. I I've I've, I've heard them all, um, and they sort of just lose sight of what they're trying to do. So a lot of the time we go back to basics. We, we always forget AI, forget data, forget this, forget blockchain. <laughs> like like the number of times I just had to hear this word and I, I just nod for the first like 10 minutes and like, oh, we are being disrupted by this blockchain startup. Blah, blah, blah. We need to do this. I'm like, okay, you've said your piece, but what are you trying to solve? So I think you... That, that is always the biggest challenge in large corporates. They, they just lose sight of what they're trying to solve. And, and whether it's a large financial institution or, or, or a large supply chain company or, or large any kind of company, they just, they just jump into the technology. We need to have AI. We need to have data. We need to hire data scientists. I'm like, but what are you trying to do? Right? Are you trying to build a better customer experience? And then if you are, um, why? Why do you need a better customer experience? Right, and then what's the motivation behind that? You know, what's the so they're not asking themselves these questions, right? They're basically jumping into the solutions. Yeah, um, that's that's quite often what we see. They just jump into a solution and go like, and 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 they assume that that's a solution because they see someone else doing it. Um, so so if they start to lose market share, if the customers, if they're whatever metric they're using, their customer experience or customer uh, metric is dropping, they're like, oh, our customers are not happy with us. We saw a competitor use an AI-empowered chatbot. We need one of those too. And and you're like, well, no. I mean, like, why are your customers unhappy with your service, right? Is it because your retail branch person is just like, has made them wait like two hours in line? Um, is it is it because that they were unable to complete the transaction that they wanted to? 
Uh, is it because they, no one picked up the phone when they called? So there's a whole bunch of things that can be um, solved. And ultimately, yes, you, you end up with some interesting technological solution, right? You can, yeah, you can use AI to do this, 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 and this. But when you understand what you're trying to fix, then it becomes so much of contextual. And, and, and then you understand why you need to spend money on that technology. Because it, it, when you say you want to spend money on technology, a lot of people don't fundamentally understand how much some of this technology can cost. And and then they balk, right? They see the, the price tag. Like, oh my God, uh, I wanted AI, but I didn't think it would cost this much money, right? So, so it helps when you understand why you're trying to solve it. Then you can see what's the value in spending on, on that technology. So let's talk a little bit about the workshop because I remember it had a pretty interesting uh, structure or um, maybe more of a concept where it was open sourcing innovation, right? Like you were trying to get the whole organization involved in creating, uh, you know, creating, documenting and pushing forward creative ideas. So how did that work? Like what, what tools were you using? What was the process like? Could you share a little bit about that? Sure. So just taking one step back, um, in that culture piece that we did just before um, the workshop's creation, as we were going through the world and kind of meeting our colleagues around, we were identifying like great ideas that our colleagues were executing in market. And, and, and the common question we always ask us, why isn't this being done in the rest of your unit? Why hasn't this been applied in Hong Kong or China or the US? And this would be interesting solutions that the Philippines team in the middle of nowhere has figured out for themselves. And we're like, you should use this in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has this same problem, right? And they're like, oh, no, we're just a small Filipino team. Hong Kong is the headquarters. They must know everything. You know, they, they, they are probably doing something even better than what we're doing. And from our point of view, we're like, we understand more about how the rest of, uh, the rest of the organization is working. We're like, no, they actually have, you're actually running more efficiently than the Hong Kong uh, operation. And so we, we, we got this point, like, how do we surface all these great ideas from our entire organization? Uh, so it's transparent, everyone can see, and everyone can, can kind of raise a voice and uh, collectively improve the idea. And so we landed on essentially crowdsourcing, um, if you want to use the, the technical term for it. But what we really wanted to do at the workshop was how to uh, foster and empower a culture of open innovation throughout the entire organization. And, and we fundamentally believe that the best ideas do not come from HQ and do not come from the person with the biggest paycheck. So that was that was really that was really the seed of the workshop. We started with a, a crowdsourcing tool, and that was uh, provided by a, um, a third-party provider called Spigot. Uh, we rolled that out under the brand name called The Kitchen. Um, I think we went with the the wording of The Kitchen because our, our CEO um, was very. Uh, he had a great statement that like, we have within a large company. We have the best ingredients. But we don't have a, we are still unable to serve up the Michelin star recipe to our customers, even though we have all these great ingredients, which are the envy of the rest of our industry, we still can't put it together. And so we thought, okay, so I think a kitchen is a great analogy, like you, having the best ingredients is one thing, but you need the kitchen to kind of cook it all up and put it together into a single dish and serve it up. So that was the kitchen. Um, and then we grew that out to um, sort of, if you follow the, the, the 
the journey of innovation as a culture and open innovation, we started running um, what we call guerrilla sessions, which is essentially fireside chats with some um, external um, external speakers coming in to kind of give us a different viewpoint on potentially the industry and some of uh, some of um, some of the challenges that we're fixing uh, facing. Um, we, we obviously understood that because we wanted to stay open, it's all about the community and not just community internally, but the community externally. How do we start bringing in um, uh, the, the startup ecosystem and engaging them, not in a, we want to hire you or pay for your services or do a, SO, uh, do a, a POC of you, but like, hey guys, we are a large multinational, we are learning, uh, we want to be part of the process with you guys uh, in the startup world, it's not adversarial, we're here to learn together, how do we build this community um, and, and, start to, and start to have that conversation. And additionally, what we found was that all the other large multinationals all were effectively doing the same thing and all were learning the same lessons. So we started to convene some community uh, events around multinational uh, innovation teams. And I think you will know this. Most innovation teams are like one or two men, guy, one or two men or women teams in a large company with very little resources. Um, probably is part of their job. If not, they have a, a whole bunch of other stuff they have to do. And it's just through sheer passion of wanting to improve their own organization, are doing what they're doing. And we essentially tried to build a support group around that. Go like, look, we're all learning the same thing. Uh, why don't we share? Uh, even I think at one point we had like two essentially competitors in the same room and 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 our viewers like obviously don't share like market critical information but the experience the the learnings we can share openly because i mean with innovation practitioners that's a lot easier as opposed to sales so let's uh step forward let's fast forward to human at work and maybe compare and contrast the workshop the kitchen with uh this innovator in residence program that you have at human at work that's i as i understand it designed to supercharge startups to scale and compete correct yep, yep. so how does that compare and contrast with the kitchen it's a very different uh, lens so the kitchen and the workshop everything was geared around effectively helping a multinational uh, adapt a more uh, innovative culture and mindset um, the supercharger in residence program is catered towards startups which are starting to scale the opportunity that we saw here and, and I think I think we organically fell into this was because we were doing it already with a few startups was that as the startups starts to scale they start to they start to hit the, the problems that large multinationals have already solved in terms of operations uh, some of their strategy I think I think if you're under 20 men and everyone is in a room, that's great. Everything is, you're, you're knocking out of the park. When you start to want to scale to multiple countries and multiple, um, and multiple offices, then you start to face all the problems that everybody, every large company has, has gone through. Like, you know, how do you put operations in place? How do you make sure the people, how do you make sure your culture is kind of still intact when you open a new office, um, market entry into a new, into a new country, um, uh, like simple procedure, like just procedural things, like how do you hire people before? Like, yeah, okay, you can just get a candidate in, see the co-founders interview him or her, a couple of the, the maybe the, the function heads interview him or her, and that's great. How do you do that when, when you start to grow into like the 100, 200, 300 people team? You can't do that with the co-founder constantly interviewing people. You need to build a process. 
um, and, and and put that in place. So that's that's a lot of the work that um, I've been doing with some of the startups in terms of um, the supercharging uh, to help them think through um, how to stay help them to stay focused and help help them grow in a structured way as opposed to just grow blindly and then kind of fix the problems afterwards. So I've got one more question before we wrap up, and it goes back to what you're doing now as a chief innovation officer. Um, you know, given these times, what's all that's happening with COVID-19, um, I, I, you know, many chief innovation officers are struggling right now to kind of figure out what to focus on. So my question to you is, what are you focusing on as a chief innovation officer? In terms of focus for my clients, um, when I advise, would be to um, stay true to your cause. Be very, now more than any other time, you need to know why you're here and what you're trying to achieve and where you want to go. I think a lot of the time people just forget um, because this challenge A comes out of left field, challenge B comes out of right field. You're constantly firefighting. And and yes, it's much easier said than done. I totally understand this. But it's, you, you, need, you need to, at some point, just take a breather or stop and see whether what you're doing still makes sense um, in... in in the way that this world is changing so dramatically, that's what is what you're doing right now. Is the fire you're trying to put out right now going to be relevant in five years' time? I I always go back to like a a quote I remember reading in the Financial Times um, during the financial crisis. The the everyone was so um, focused on examining the grains of sand on a beach that they didn't see the tsunami coming. So I think you, you you need to you need to stop at, at some point and, and now more than other because like you just every a lot of people are just slow bleeding out um, business is drying up um, you need to take the pain sometimes and just let, start to look at potential ability uh, potential places to pivot and just stay true to your cause and what you're trying to do and whether that you, by doing that you actually figure out whether you you should have a place in this world really. Yeah, that's great advice. I I like that. I I like the fact that you're saying embrace what's happening right now. Don't try to react so quickly all the time. Just try to stay quiet and figure out what's happening and then step out of that quietness into a more leveraged position. So, Ihu, um if people want to learn more about you and what you do, maybe uh, learn more about Human at Work, uh, what's the best way to do that? Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, we have a website. Uh, email me. Uh, just, yeah. And anywhere you see me digitally, we have a contact me button. Just all right, go right through. <laughs> Fantastic. So I will link your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show, you. Thank you very much, Annie. Always a pleasure.